What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Annika Von Gray from the band Von Gray. Being being inspired by what you're doing is should always be the foundation of what you build a business on. If you're not truly passionate and happy with what you are creating and what you're doing and how you're spending your time, I think that it's pretty hard to create something stable. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Annika, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm very interested in the title, uh, Experimental Rock Band. Tell me how you guys came up with that. Um, Well, I mean, I think it's kind of... It, there's two parts to that to that genre name. Um, I think one of them is the fact that we've just been on a very long uh, path of creative evolution that has involved a lot of experimentation. So just personally, it feels very um, experimental in nature. And we also use a lot of instruments that I think are not always stereotypically used in the genre. Um, and we try to to kind of create new sounds with those instruments that haven't been done before, which is definitely kind of an experiment that's constantly, constantly in motion. So I think that's what, what the name is born out of or the genre. That's fun. So, uh, you guys are a group of three sisters, grew up playing classical music. Um, yes. And you, you've gone on to this world and really accomplished some things, whether it's playing on David Letterman or on Conan or, you know, huge music concerts like Bonnaroo. I mean, for people who haven't been to Bonnaroo, how big is that? It is massive. I don't know the numbers, but there are there are thousands of people on a field sweating and listening to music together. It's a lot of fun. I'm just, uh, I just pulled it up real quick. On last year, they had 80,000 people. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It's pretty massive. Um, And, uh, you know, you guys recently played at Library of Congress, um, a lot of these big things. Starting with Bonnaroo, I mean, I look at that lineup, you know, when you guys are playing, it's Tom Petty and all all these huge, you know, uh, York and Paul McCartney and (laughs) all these people playing. Uh, Who were some of the people you were excited to see at the concert you were playing at? (laughs) Uh, We did say Bjork and she is phenomenal. So that was amazing. I think we saw Nas, which was fun. Uh, there, there's a band called Beach House that I'm a fan of. We saw Paul. Uh, so yeah, there's just 
so much talent in one in one lineup. It was pretty overwhelming. But amazing. it's nuts to think it's one event, right? With right? Kendrick Lamar and Passion Pit and the XX I and know. Animal Collective and Jack Johnson crazy. and right. Yeah, it just goes on and on. It's pretty amazing. Um, and we're going to talk more about you know some of the fun things uh, of the music business. But I think one of the things I'm excited to talk about today is the business of the music business. Yeah, and that this is not just wishful thinking. I mean, you guys have, have scored who I think is an awesome manager. She's um, incredible. Taylin Bauman, you know, used to work with uh, Imagine Dragons and, and, you know, on the level type of players. And um, when you think about the advantage of having someone like that, what, what is it in your mind? Uh, I mean, I think it's in, in any industry and especially the music industry, the team is one of the most important things that is that, you know, determines whether or not you'll have success and, um, people that are ambitious and scrappy and most importantly, passionate, it's really a game changer. And Daylin, our manager is, you know, she's just so passionate about music and also a very smart analytical person who can kind of set aside the preciousness and look and kind of analyze what's going on. So, uh, yeah, it's an invaluable resource. Absolutely. Well, and for anybody interested, we had Daylin on the show. Um, so please go back and, and listen to her episode. You can find it off of iCollective.co. Um, but there's, there's the issue of, you know, can you create something awesome? that that people are interested in and then there's the whole scheduling content creation marketing yep. <laughs> around it um you talked about um before we were starting the show feeling like you know in the ups and downs well let's start with this how many years have you have you girls been playing together uh we've been playing as a band for about five and a half years or six years now so a fairly long time and how old are you guys now um, I am 20. The eldest is 21 and the youngest is 18. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you talked about how like really like this idea of getting out ahead of it and planning ahead and being prepared for success is something that maybe didn't come as natural to you. But yeah. you feel like you've got to focus on it now. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, when you are dealing with a product that is very artistic in nature. It's a very emotional process and it's really fun to get lost in the, in the creative process. So, um, I think especially when we were younger, we didn't fully grasp how many moving pieces there are, um, in a band that's trying to be commercially viable. So yeah, I just, even the small logistics of touring and getting merch ready and content creation on social media. Um, there's a lot of things that you really have to think about preemptively. And that's not something that we did originally because we were being a little bit, um, hedonistic with the level of self-indulgence that we put into just like spending time in the basement, writing songs and playing with our violins and guitars. And we weren't really thinking big picture about what it meant to to get product moving and to, to be prepared for all of that. So it's been a, it's been a learning curve that I think we finally kind of crossed yeah. or conquered. Yeah. Um, when you think about something like social media, I mean, there's an incredible amount of noise out there. Yeah. What's, what's one of the strategies that you guys are doing intentionally to try and cut through the noise and, and maybe not blend in? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we really do focus on developing a sort of uniqueness for the product. So it does kind of bring something distinctive that's not really already out there. Um, and 
I think we've done we've done a ton of rebranding work, and I think that's the thing that we really realize we need to focus on, especially for platforms on social media. Um, just because, especially when it's a visual product, because I think music is partially like an auditory experience, but there's a lot of visual aspects that go into selling it. Um, so just trying to rebrand, get kind of like a vibe that's very obvious and a sound that when people hear it, they know who it is. That's the goal. So I think just trying to create a product that's really unique, whether it's through aesthetic, um, you know, packaging that kind of ties into that. It's been a really key focus point for us recently. And I think it's creating results pretty quickly, which is really encouraging. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some specifics there. I remember talking to Daylan about how, you know, when you guys think about imagery, how one of the things that you're asking yourselves is, is this iconic? You know, is this a fad because everybody's got this type of filter yeah. right now? Or is this Absolutely. something a decade from now or more would still you know, be a striking image. And, and she, she went over this idea of, can, can we make it iconic intentionally? Are there any other yep. principles like that, that you guys are testing? Should we put this out or not against? Yeah, I think timelessness is definitely like a, a central kind of goal so that it is not a fad or a trend. Um, but kind of on the other side of that, there's also the knowledge that we want to be current. So it's kind of like finding that balance is something that we do focus on a lot when it comes to branding so that it feels current and it speaks to the way people are feeling or what they're responding to now. We also want to make sure it's true to our authentic creative selves and we want to have the timeless nature. So it's kind of a lot of ground to cover with one product and it's, it's kind of a constant balancing act trying to, trying to walk all of those lines. Yeah. Um, thinking about events, which obviously, you know, people know that with Napster and then iTunes, the music yeah. business has changed so much and, and events drive a lot of the business of music these days. When you guys get invited to do something like Austin City Limits Music Festival, I mean, they, I think they have 450,000 people attend that, uh, yeah. right? I mean, it's something enormous like that. Um, how do you, what's an example of strategy that you guys will think of? you know, getting the most out of an event like that? Yeah, a lot of it comes down to like PR, um, just trying to make sure a that you are letting people know that you're playing that event. So we just try to, you know, make sure that our resume can, can fully reflect the things that we've accomplished. Because um, I think when you're playing it, you want to make sure the people that are there are engaged, but you also kind of want that that accomplishment to trail behind you and add a little bit of credibility. So um, making sure that you announce it and put it, you know, in your bios and kind of like the small details like that really do help the the effects of those um, opportunities linger, which is really, really important to us. Sure. So for PR, is this something that Daylin handles? Is this, you know, are are you guys involved in, you know, having a list of media groups that you're helping approach? How, how does that look like logistically? Um, I mean, we all brainstorm as far as strategy goes. And then we have outside parties that deal with the PR when it comes to actually reaching out to people. Um, and that involves digital PR and then also kind of hard press. So um, it's it's something that we that we kind of offload onto someone else. But we do a lot of the strategizing first, just so we can make sure it's being presented and packaged um, to the correct demographic and in the way that we want it to be delivered. Yeah. 
You know, events are something that the business community in general is getting more and more into, whether it's salesforce.com having their huge dream force or content marketing institute having content world, you know, these, these big events that they have, right. Um, when you, well, let's start with this with your fans. What do you think is, I'm sure that, you know, all the social is important, but when you think about the primary methods of communication, is it email? Is it Facebook? Is it Snapchat? What's, what do you guys feel like are the top of the list for direct communication to your hardcore fans? Um, Facebook is the platform that we have the largest numbers on and we get a lot of interaction with our fans on that platform, which seems to be kind of the most active social media platform. But I do think having a really large email database is pretty invaluable because I think email addresses stay a little bit more constant than people's interaction with social media. Um, It seems to be the one method of communication that doesn't really dwindle. So, um, and it's not, there's not new trends in the email world, whereas in social media, I think people kind of jump from platform to platform. So I think that emails are the most constant thing, and then Facebook is the most immediate method of communication for us. Yeah. Um, when you think about the, these different things, using them for different purposes, it, what, is, what is your strategy there? So we're, you're announcing tour dates on Facebook, but you're putting stuff on Instagram to try and project what the yeah. look and feel of the band is whereas you're using you know this platform for something different do you, do you guys is it set out that way or what does it look like for you yeah i mean we obviously kind of will promote when we have something big that we're pushing we try to make sure that every platform is really really exploiting that event but um i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with like the instagram is definitely focused on aesthetic building and, and branding and creating kind of a thumbprint of an image um visually literally and uh facebook is definitely focused a little bit more towards trying to get people out to things being able to promote shows um you know lots of times and then we don't use twitter as much as we probably should we're slowly getting back onto that but that i think is a little bit more of like a personality building platform where you can just kind of tweet thoughts um and i think snapchat is kind of is kind of a similar platform for us and then we don't send emails out unless we're pushing a big event like a like a big show or a music release or a video release or something like that. And and what's the psychology between uh behind not sending more email? Um I think even just personally I don't like my my inbox to be inundated constantly. I'd rather have like a newsletter of sorts that kind of just gives updates occasionally when they're important. So I think it's we just don't want to be a nuisance cuz I know that people no matter how invested you are in a band, if you have a business email or you use your email for, for lots of different things, you probably don't want it cluttered up too much with, with slightly trivial, you know, information. You know, I was guessing that that would be what it is. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm such a fan of that idea, though, of like thinking what it's like to receive this instead of yeah. how easy is this for us to send? Exactly. Um, yeah. Kind of contemplating what the other side of that transaction's like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a, I'm a consumer in my daily life, so I I think it's really helpful to be able to put myself back in in the shoes of someone that's receiving the information and and try to think about how I would respond if I was receiving what we're sending out. I think that's a really nice way to have a little bit of a checks and balances going. Sure. Um, when you think about how many people in the business world want the younger consumer, you know, they want the lifetime yeah. value of a consumer, so they want to lock them in while they're young and hopefully. That, you know, it's a bigger number over a lifetime, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And yet it's so elusive for maybe the baby boomers to project what, what uh, you know, 
today's 18 year old wants. Yep. <laughs> um, when you think about answering that question for somebody who isn't 18, what, yep. what advice do you have? Um, I think that it's really helpful when you're trying to tap into a certain demographic to um, observe what is working for other people. Um, because if you, if you can't, if you're not me, I'm in the generation that I'm trying to sell to, which is obviously helpful. Um, but if I weren't, I think I would probably try to learn from other people that are doing it successfully. Um, and just try to listen and be acutely aware of if you post something or you send something out or you package something like market research, I think is so, so, so important. So just try to really listen to what the market is telling you, even if it's just listening to other people that are also trying to sell a product. Um, just kind of observe and be a student of the market. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny how that advice doesn't feel that different. But my first yeah. thought is that most most of us who ever doing market research or something, we think that sitting in front of our computer <sighs> and flipping through, which I think legitimately people watching your um, music videos on YouTube and seeing what aesthetics you guys chose and stuff like that. I think that is important. Yeah. But, but this idea of like in, observing in person also like having people come to your concerts and look around totally. and see what they see there and, and physically go to whether it's X games or, or other place where that age group is physically and, you know, observing totally. them in the wild. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Versus, yeah. you know, what is Buzzfeed or what is Huffington post synthesize saying about that generation instead of experiencing it live right oh yeah i think it definitely gives a a different perspective that is super important just kind of being on the ground and and observing when you're in the moment with those people i think it's probably an irreplaceable irreplaceable way to gauge reactions well you know it's funny for me because i i don't feel that old i'm like 36 <laughs> yeah. but i act like a 20 year old still um, but <laughs> Ideation Collective is mostly run by like 20 year old interns from the yeah. university. And mm -hmm. uh, it's funny how spending time with them, like them harassing me about not being good at using Slack or different things <laughs> like it, like it, it like highlights the things that I'm taking for granted that I thought I knew that yeah. <laughs> just physically hanging around with them. They're like making fun of me, making me sound like the old man. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so I feel like I like got a taste of my own medicine on that. This yeah. summer, especially. <laughs> Um, listen, uh, we always like to ask guests about, um, child rescue and the yes. charity we started to try to prevent people from trafficking children. And we usually ask people what, what advice they would have for us or what they would do if they were us. But this is kind of a fun conversation since we're actually doing something together. Do you want to talk about yeah. our, uh, our little collab here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are collaborating kind of as a collective with Habin Inc., um, a, a phenomenal illustrator and trying to come up with um, like a T-shirt design and some some sort of merch idea and visual product that will will engage people that, you know, we can help spread awareness through our platform with something that we had a hand in creatively because um, – Obviously, the idea of sex trafficking um, is, is pretty far from our reality, and we're blessed to be able to say that. Um, we are vehement uh, feminists, and we are from Atlanta, which is a hub for, for sex trafficking. So it's something that we feel deeply for the people that are victimized by that. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited and 
touched and feel really blessed to have the opportunity to try to do something to spread awareness. Well, we really appreciate you guys being willing to use your spotlight. And obviously you've got tens of thousands of fans, but you still would like more and being willing to use some of that up on, on us. uh, We really appreciate. So thank you. Oh yeah, no, we appreciate it as well. We're excited. Um, Well, we'll have to, uh, you know, Everybody who's like subscribed to our fan base and stuff, once the t-shirt's out, we'll, we'll be sending it out to the Ideation Collective family also. Yeah. So if you're not on the Ideation Collective newsletter, go to iCollective.co and sign up. And, yes, uh, good idea. And go to Von Gray concerts when they <laughs> got it out. So, um, Listen, I was really interested uh, on a different subject when we were talking about um, the fact that, you know, the music business, there's what to do, you know, playing the... In- playing the instruments, getting it filmed, yeah. stuff, I guess. And then there's the fact that it's not robots that you're doing this with. Like you have to figure out how to work with humans, including yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You talked about this concept of navigating the ego. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think every industry has people, I mean, ego is just kind of a dominant factor in human life and the human experience in general. Um, And when you're dealing with an art form that is so emotionally precious, there are so many external and internal forces that are kind of trying to influence you. Um, And so for, for us as a band and me as an individual, it's been a very important learning process to, to kind of figure out how to deal with human beings on a way that is sensitive and kind and understanding, but also standing up for myself as a creator and a business owner and someone that's trying to sustain myself. So it's a tricky balance internally with ego just because the product is so precious to me and I need to um, kind of be able to set that aside and be very um, analytically minded when I'm when I'm trying to really critique the product and then also dealing with other people who are either artists or maybe don't understand the artistic process. It's a, it's kind of a constant um, push and pull that is very necessary or things will kind of crumble around you. I think because if the people that you're trying to engage or that you're interacting with on a business level are not, um, don't think that you're passionate, then they're not going to be inspired, but they also have to think that you're able to be a little bit ruthless when it comes to, defending um your your artistic property if that makes any sense yeah i'm i'm interested in uh your thoughts about navigating that line i think you know we've you and i talked about even six months ago you know i'm an art school dropout originally on the illustration side and um i get pretty bullheaded about stuff that i think is a good (laughs) idea right yeah and then you know as certain failures have piled up i've had to you know i've gained that dose of humility, whether I wanted or not, when when things didn't pan out. And so, um, becoming more, um, willing to consider other people's ideas is good and being more collaborative is something that was something I had to work into. Yeah. Um, and then there's this thing of, okay, well, what criteria am I going to base when I do decide I'm going to double down on my idea or when I'm going to take the influence of somebody else and just trust they know better about that item. Um, how do do you navigate that? Are there any things you tell yourself or do you do little tests or how do you navigate knowing when to stick to your guns and when to realize you maybe don't know everything? Um, it's very tricky. And I think that I probably, um, misstep a little bit when it comes to trying to follow my intuition. Um, 
but I, I am a very stubborn person by nature. And I have, I think probably in the last year, it's been the first time where I've really allowed myself to be a student because, um, I, I do with, especially with things I'm creating because I'm creating them from my gut and it's an instinctual artistic process. It's very hard to believe that other people would have an opinion that makes more sense than mine does when all I'm trying, like I'm a very hedonistic artist. So my first goal is self-expression that's honest. So um, it's hard to allow other people to influence your honesty. (laughs) But for me, the most important thing when I'm trying to remind myself to be open is to, is to listen in a way that is just, I just need to look at myself in the mirror and remind myself to be open before I go into a conversation. Um, and looking at other people who have been successful or maybe other people that haven't reached success, but that deserve it and really trying to understand the steps that they took allows me to have more trust in what they're, in what they're telling me. Um, and a lot of it does come down to gut instinct. And I think now that I am able to remind myself to be open, my instinct is a little bit less, um, closed off and (laughs) self-absorbed. So I think it's just, it's just listening really is, is the main thing. And really just calling myself out when I realize that I'm being stubborn and surrounding myself with people who are brave enough to call me out when I'm not doing it for myself. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I heard this great quote that said, um, good decisions come from experience, but experience comes from bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely rings true. Um, it's interesting, this idea of listening, right? Because I think, I don't know that there's any one of us that would claim that we're a bad listener or that we don't listen to people. You know, I think it's kind of like, we all think we're an above average driver and we all think we're a good listener. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but really like that more like deep contemplative listening where we can actually get to a place of objectiveness. Yeah. It seems like a talent. It seems like something people have to practice. Oh, absolutely. For me, it is something that I have to, um, almost religiously remind myself of, um, because I know that it's not in my nature. I'm not by nature, a patient person. And I so admire people that are. Um, so practicing humility just by forcing myself to, whether it's just self-affirmations in the morning or writing notes to myself or, you know, again, surrounding myself with people who will look me in the eyes and tell me that I'm not doing my job as a student of, of the industry or just of life in general um, has been really paramount to me trying to turn that page. Because I do know that, you know, it's not something that I used to practice in my daily life, you know, when I was when I was younger. So it's something that has really improved my life, but it's not something that I can just do, you know, naturally. It's a it's a constant process trying to remind myself and and, you know, just keep myself in check. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, there's a lot of us that can pay really good lip service to something like that too. Yeah. Um, but it's actually taking the time for those affirmations or like, I know for me, like a couple of red flags are if I'm talking too much, like if I'm talking too much of a percentage of a conversation, yep. that that's like starts stinging the bell for me. Or if I'm talking too fast, sometimes yep. that can be like a, Hey Jess, you know, or, or like I'm too insistent, you know, like a, I'm guilty of all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, I'm kind of like the, uh, the pro, prosecutorial lawyer and I'm 
I'm driving and I'm not letting people get a word in. And I'm, you know, I think at the time I claim I'm being passionate where really when I can hear those little bells dinging, I can realize, no, I'm just bulldozing people. Like we've gone past passion. Now you're just bulldozing Jess. Yep. (laughs) Um, So I'm interested, uh, any of those affirmations or anything, do you remember any of them? Are there any you can tell us? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's not as much like a mantra that I look at myself and, and tell myself. It's really just like things that I've learned, like if I'm in the middle of a conversation and even silly, like physical reminders, like I'm getting a little bit winded because I am speaking over people. I will just, I'll stop and I'll usually try to apologize immediately and acknowledge out loud that I've been doing that to the person I'm speaking to. Um, and then I focus on things like breathing deeply, giving myself to... <laughs> It sounds so simple, right? I know. It really is so simple. Or just if someone speaks, let them finish the sentence. I understand grammar and I know if I'm cutting someone off or if I'm, you you know, using run-on sentences that are just really not letting anyone else get a word in. So it's really like the simple things are, you know, take a breath after someone's finished speaking so that I have time to process the information fairly. Um, Yeah, it's, it's really those really small things that when I actually practice them, it makes a huge difference. You know, I'm so glad that you brought up one of those things in there. I, I was thinking about, um, there's that book, you know, very simple book um, called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I don't know if yeah. you've ever read it, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it's got that chapter in there about interrupting and how disrespectful it is to people. Yeah. And I remember it really impacting me um, when I read it the first time. And I, I think that's a, you know, a fault that I'm, have a natural aptitude to be good at. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And uh, that idea of, again, just, you know, simple, easy to implement, but, but, you know, it takes willpower to practice of taking a breath after someone else finishes their sentence. Yeah. And like, if you can take a whole breath and they haven't started up again, then you really have listened to their complete thought. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so simple. It sounds dumb, but it is quite uncommon and yeah. people feel really listened to if you actually do it, right? Oh my gosh, it makes such a immediate and noticeable difference in the way that, you know, people respond to, to our interactions. Um, you know, if, if they really feel like you are taking the time to appreciate what they're saying and trying to understand their headspace a little bit more, it makes a world of a difference. And seeing how immediately it impacts my communication with people is a really nice way to to encourage my process and in, in learning how to be a good communicator and listener because I do see how positive and it's even selfishly um it's it makes it easier to have productive constructive conversations um and you know if someone's trying to sway me or I'm trying to sway them or we're just trying to explain our our opinions I finish the conversation feeling so much better when I when I feel like we found some kind of common ground or at least respect for each other it's a good feeling yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, um, listen, before we wrap up here, um, I'm interested, you know, the nature of making new music means you can't just play what other people have played. Yeah. Um, but yet there is obviously the role of influence of others. As you think about innovation or creativity, um, you know, these years that you have practiced this craft of of composing new music, I'm to the point that you guys are, you know, you're getting that stamp of approval of the David Letterman show, Conan, yeah. Maru, you know, Austin City Limits. 
what advice do you have for the rest of us that want to tap into more creativity or want to, you know, innovate at a higher level? Um, well, this, this answer is going to be a little bit in depth, but we, uh, as sisters were, were homeschooled for our entire life. So I think we really developed our sense of identity and our sense of place in the world through observation, um, because we were fairly secluded in our youth and we didn't interact a lot. We really just observed and spent time trying to understand the things around us. And so as creators, I think partially because of that, we don't shy away from being inspired by other people. And I don't think it's a sign of creative weakness um, when you when you do admit that people inspire you. And obviously I do not support, you know, trying to copy for lack of a better word anyone else or trying to replicate what someone does because it's impossible to do so authentically but I think opening up your brain to to really soak in all of the things that you find pleasurable and all of the sounds that you like and all of the things that make you feel a certain way understanding how they do that and trying to implement that in some way in your creative process I think is a really 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 productive way to to produce something that you're proud of because you're including elements of things that make you feel good. So why would you not utilize those yourself to create something that is satisfying? So I think being okay with being inspired by someone else and being excited by someone else's work is a really, really constructive thing to learn to do as a creator. I love that. Um, it kind of makes me think about what you and I were talking about before the show of you know, being disciplined about the business yeah. and conquering yourself to actually, you know, schedule the tour correctly. Yeah, exactly. But then being indulgent in the creativity of the, you know, tuning into what you authentically yeah. really value and letting that be your guide. Um, anyways, it feels like it's a bit related to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, being being inspired by what you're doing is should always be the foundation of what you build a business on. If you're not truly passionate and happy with what you are creating and what you're doing and how you're spending your time, I think that it's pretty hard to create something stable. Well, every business sucks at some point. So I if know. you don't even like the underlying part, it's yeah. so easy to give up, right? Exactly. Yeah, you need you need some sort of like selfish motivation as far as just, you know, release or happiness. Um, otherwise, there's no point. I, I will say, like, having started a couple of things that were purely for the money yeah, didn't pan out, it's like, yeah, when it sucks, there isn't that extra little bit of give to want to push yep. anyways, right? Exactly. There needs to be some kind of return that, you know, that makes you feel nice. No kidding. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking so much time with us today. Yeah, it was so nice to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Um, and for everybody else, uh, tune in tomorrow. Uh, we are going to have one of Annika's sisters and bandmates on uh, for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Yes. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.